it's Tuesday, the 6th of February, and welcome to Career 24. I'm your host, Hun Jiang-wo. The government has announced that it will increase the quota for medical school admissions by 65%, despite threats of strikes by doctors' groups. We'll have more details in news briefing shortly. Then today, we meet celebrated illustrator Ilya Milstein to discuss his career and his solo exhibition being held here in Seoul. And then coming up for Hallyu Highlights, we discuss veteran actor Lee Young-hae's rumoured transition to talk show host, actor Son Seok-gu's new production company, and a possible new French novel about Lisa from Blackpink. We have all that and more on today's Career 24. The government has made it official. It plans to boost the number of medical students by 2,000 next year. That's a 65% increase. Part of the reasons is to help ease public health concerns, particularly in rural areas. For more on this story and our other headlines from today, I'm joined in the studio by KBS World Radio News Editor Daniel Che. Daniel, hello. Hello there, jung so in accordance with the change, the number of freshmen for medical schools are raised for the first time this century. Can you tell us more? So right, we'll be seeing slightly over 5,000. The last spike was in 1998, and the med school enrollment quota was capped at around 3,000 since 2006. Health Minister Cho Gyu-hong announced a plan on Tuesday explaining the hype was necessary, with Korea expecting a shortage of some 1,500 doctors, rather 15,000 doctors, in 2035. The newly admitted med students are expected to begin graduating in 2031. That should partially alleviate supply shortage when the time comes. He told reporters that it is a dire situation in which the essential medical sectors stand at the edge of a cliff. There will be a focus on allocating additional quota to med school based outside the greater Seoul area. The government plans to regularly control the supply of doctors by considering factors including the aging population, disease outbreaks, and advancements in medical technology. However, the move is being met with fierce opposition from doctors, uh, with warnings of fierce protests and even strikes. Right. Earlier on Tuesday, the Korean Medical Association, a lobby group of doctors, warned of a nationwide strike over the unilateral move. They believe in other options instead of increasing med school quota, such as establishing public hospitals and offering better salaries, will be more effective in encouraging doctors to work in rural areas and the essential health care field. Yi Pirsu, the association's head, told reporters there were repeated suggestions from the medical circle about the government push its own policy measures without ample discussions and consultations. The KM executive branch also plans to resign en masse and immediately convene an extraordinary general meeting of delegates to form an emergency committee. Government, however, warned of stern actions should doctors proceed with such strikes, urging doctors to cooperate with the new policy. Yes, we will see if the doctors' groups do indeed go through with strike action and see how wide it is and how disruptive it is to medical services as well. Let's continue on to our other headlines now. A national security chief and a presidential chief of staff from the Pakkane administration will be among 980 politicians and business leaders expected to receive special presidential pardons ahead of this week's New Year, uh, Lunar New Year holiday. Can you tell us more? So on Tuesday, the government announced President Yoon sung yeols fourth round of special pardons to be granted on Wednesday. The list includes former National Security Advisor Kim Guan-jin, sentenced to two years in prison for ordering online opinion rigging for the 2012 election. Kim Gi-chun, presidential chief of staff from the Park administration as well, sentenced to two years for ordering cultural figures and groups critical 
goal of the government to be blacklisted. A business leader said to be pardoned include Che Jae-won, executive vice chairman of SK Group, and LIG Group chairman Gu Bonzang after they have either completed their prison term or their suspended sentence has expired. The pardons are part of special exemptions granted to over 450,000 people, with the president saying they are intended to revive the economy and public livelihoods. Meanwhile, KBS is scheduled to air its New Year interview with President Yoon Sung-yeol at 10pm Wednesday. Can you tell us more? So the 100-minute session was pre-recorded at the top office last Sunday with anchor Park Jang-bum asking questions. Yoon will reveal the direction of policies he'll pursue in a wide array of areas, including politics, economy, foreign affairs, as he entered his third year in office. Uh, there is also great attention to the interview as the president will be explaining, possibly for the first time, his stance on the luxury bag controversy surrounding First Lady Kim Gon-hee, an allegation that Kim inappropriately received a luxury bag worth around 3 million won or some 2,200 US dollars from a Korean-American pastor in 2022. Let's turn now to some other headlines as well. A court overturned an initial ruling that the state was not responsible for compensating humidifier disinfectant victims or their bereaved families. Can you explain more? The Seoul High Court, the Seoul High Court rather, ordered the state to pay three to five million won, or twenty-two to thirty-eight hundred U.S. dollars, to three plaintiffs in a compensation lawsuit filed by five people, including victims of the humidifier disinfectant, concluding that the exercise of discretion by public officials concerning negligence during the review and announcement of chemical hazards was significantly unreasonable and therefore illegal, marking the first time in which the state's liability for compensation has been recognized. Victims who receive treatment in hospitals or lost family members due to unexplained lung damage after using the disinfectants made and sold by Oxyrecid Bankiser Korea between 2008 and 2011 filed a lawsuit for damages against the government and the manufacturers back in 2014. The first trial in 2016 acknowledged the manufacturer's liability for compensation but dismissed the claim against the state, citing lack of evidence. In other news, the remains of Buddhist monks from Korea's Korea dynasty will return home after 85 years in the United States. Yes, uh, according to uh, Cultural Heritage Administration Museum of Fine Arts Boston, one of the three biggest art museums in the U.S., it has agreed to return the rare and culturally significant Sarita relics to the Jogi order, the largest sect of Korean Buddhism. So the donation comes after a push by the two sides for the return of the Sarira reliquary for an unspecified loan period for public display and preservation, with an agreement reached in Boston on Monday for the U.S. Museum to send the relics before Buddha's birthday, which falls on May 15th this year. So Sarira is a Buddhist term for bead-shaped objects that are retrieved among the cremated ashes of Buddhist spiritual masters, whereas the Sarira reliquaries carry additional significance in art history as they represent Buddhist crafts created by the finest artisans of the period. The Lunar New Year holiday is beginning this Friday, and that is when the Lunar New Year holiday traffic is expected to peak as well Friday morning. Uh, Can you tell us more about what we should brace ourselves for? Yes, according to the Transport Ministry on Tuesday, over a quarter of travelers are expected to leave the metro area for hometowns in the morning on Friday, the eve of Lunar New Year Day. It's forecast to take 9 hours and 10 minutes on expressway from Seoul to Busan, 7 hours to Gwangju, 5 hours and 5 minutes to the eastern city of Gangneung, 
with around 28% of travelers expected to return home, on, return home on Sunday afternoon. It will likely take 8 hours and 25 minutes from Busan to Seoul, 6 hours and 55 minutes from Gwangju, and 4 hours and 40 minutes from Gangneung. Incheon International Airport authorities expect an average of 195,000 people a day to travel through the airport during the Lunar New Year holiday, which is why the airport plans to expand the hours of the departure and arrival terminal as well as airport railway operations while dispatching additional security personnel. And finally, midnight tonight, the South Korean men's national football team will face Jordan at the semifinals of the AFC Asian Cup in Qatar. Can you tell us more? Right. The Tegu Warriors, led by Jürgen Klinsmann, wrapped up final preparations for the game that will be held at the Ahmed bin Ali Stadium in Qatar at 6 p.m. Tuesday local time over there and 12 a.m. Wednesday Korea time over here. Team Korea aims to win the cup for the first time in 64 years, dramatically earned the semifinals berth after its two previous matches, which saw extra time, which kept people on the edge of their seats and a lot of (laughs) nail-biting there. Klinsmann expressed confidence, saying the team is overcoming difficulties, very much like our Argentina had toward grabbing the championship at the 2022 World Cup in Qatar. Uh, true champions uh, run never runs smooth, I suppose, to a certain degree. <laughs> if South Korea defeats Jordan, it will face the winner of the match between Iran and home team Qatar at the finals on Saturday. Yes, glory beckons. That's where we're going to wrap it up for our news briefing today. Thank you for those stories, Daniel. Thank you so much for having me. Welcome to the Korea 24 Stock and Forex Update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index went down 15.11 points, or 0.58% on Tuesday, to close the day at 2,576.20. The tech-heavy Kosdaq also declined, losing 0.96 points, or 0.12%, to close at 807.03. On the foreign exchange, the local currency strengthened, 3.21 against the U.S. dollar, closing the day at 1,327.61. You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr. It's time now for Global News Roundup, where we look beyond Korea to talk about issues making headlines around the world. Joining us for that in the studio, it is our KBS World Radio News Editor, Koo Hee-jin. Hee-jin, hello. It's good to see you again. Hello, jang We start our roundup today in the US, where a powerful storm system has drenched parts of California, leaving at least two people dead, knocking out power and prompting dangerous mudslides and rivers of debris that stretched across neighbourhoods. And the bad news is it's not quite over. So what can you tell us? Well, the Los Angeles River, which normally flows at a crawl, was raging and even threatening to overspill its flood-controlled barriers in some uh, sections due to a historic amounts of rain. Southern California, including parts of San Diego and Los Angeles, is facing life-threatening flash flooding, according to CNN, the Associated Press and local television stations, which cited the U.S. National Weather Service. Already, some areas in LA were seeing uh, were seeing nearly a foot or more than thirty centimeters of rain. Um, the deluge raised concerns uh, for the re- region's large population of homeless people, many of whom set up encampments along the river and on small dirt outcroppings and brush-covered islands. First responders patrolled the river, and swift water rescue teams were poised to de- uh, deploy. The rains and threats 
of flash flooding will expand Tuesday local time into western Arizona, uh, southern Nevada and southwestern Utah as the storm system moves east. The river wanders through 14 cities from San Fernando Valley through downtown Los Angeles and south to Long Beach where it empties into the ocean. The storm is also impacting travel and power in the Golden State, cutting off highways and delay- delaying flights. And it will. Uh, it may also impact power supply stand. Indeed, the Pacific Coast Highway, a major no- uh, north-south thoroughfare, closed in two locations on Monday as thousands of flights in or out of state were cancelled or delayed. Uh, more than 200,000 Californian customers are facing outages. Uh, scientists are pointing to two factors that are enhancing the rainfall and destructive power of this week's storm, the climate crisis and El Nino, which is linked to changes in water temperature in the equatorial Pacific Ocean that can have rippling effects on weather patterns around the globe. And to make matters worse, parts of California are seeing heavy snow burying some areas of Sierra Nevada and Southern California's mountain ranges. Yes, as this is a situation that's continuing to develop, we will keep an eye out on it, in particular for us, the impact on the millions of Korean Americans and Korean students in the area as well. Mm-hmm. Next, we cross the Atlantic to the UK, where there was some shocking news from the royal family. King Charles III has been diagnosed with cancer and will step back from public-facing duties while he undergoes treatment. That's according to the Buckingham Palace uh, on Monday. What Mm. else have they said? Well, the BBC, CNN and major news outlets reported the news after the 75-year-old monarch attended a London hospital for a corrective procedure for an enlarged prostate last month. Tests were carried out and revealed a form of cancer, the palace said in a statement, without specifying what kind of cancer it was. Uh, But a royal source told CNN that the uh, cancer detected was not prostate cancer. Uh, Charles has departed from royal tradition uh, with his openness about his health. For centuries, Britain's uh, royal family remained tight-lipped about health matters. Previous monarchs had withheld it for fear that it might weaken their authority uh, while it carried into the present time. In the final years of Queen Elizabeth's life, the public was told only that the Queen was suffering from mobility issues. The cause of her death was listed on the death certificate simply as old age. King Charles is currently at home in London to begin outpatient treatment. Uh, Prime Minister Rishi Sunak said he is shocked and sad to hear of King Charles's t- uh, diagnosis and that he's thankful that the illness was caught early and wished him a speedy recovery. Yes, it's not that long ago, of course, that Charles was crowned monarch upon the death of his mother, Queen Elizabeth II, in September 2022. Mm-hmm. And we're still not sure about King Charles' exact health status, so it's perhaps too early to think about these lines. But mm-hmm. if we do explore it, in the event of his death, who is next in line for the throne? Well, Prince William, uh, his first son, uh, is next in line to the throne and will be returning to public duties later this week after taking time off to support his wife in her own recovery from abdominal surgery. Kensington Palace announced uh, as such in a press statement earlier Monday. Yes, in the meantime, we wait to hear more news of his condition in the coming weeks. Mm. Finally, we cross over to Singapore, where its parliament passed a law on Monday that could jail, quote-unquote, dangerous sex offenders and violent criminals indefinitely. What can you tell us? 
The Straits Times and Agence France Presse reported that the Sentence for Enhanced Public Protection, or SEP as it's called, aims to keep convicts who show signs that they might reoffend, uh, that they will be kept behind bars even after their jail terms have ended. The law, which would apply to even first-time offenders of serious uh, sexual and violent crimes, will ensure serious offenders are detained for as long as is needed for public safety, according to the Ministry of Law and the Ministry of Home Affairs. SEP is limited to those who commit serious violent offences, such as culpable homicide and attempted murder, and serious sexual offences, such as rape and sexual penetration of a minor. In response to queries from the straight times, the two ministries said there are currently 200 to 300 cases each year of serious, violent and serious sexual offences. Yes, Singapore has tough laws for even minor offences, such as vandalism, which can be punished by caning, I understand. Indeed, it has a homicide rate of just 0.2 per 100,000 inhabitants, according to UN data, among the world's lowest. Senior Parliamentary Secretary for Law, Rahayu Mazim, said uh, courts would determine whether uh, and SEP would uh, imp- be imposed to an offender. OK, that is where we're going to leave it for our Global News Roundup today. Hee thank you for those stories and we'll see you again tomorrow. Thank you. I'm Leanne Kim of the hip-hop group Ajima EXP. You are now listening to Korea 24 on KBS World Radio. Next up today, we have a special interview with Ilya Milstein, a New York-based illustrator who's been described as a visual world builder. His intricate portrayals of both everyday life and fantastical realms have garnered a global fan base. He's also been highly sought after by some of the biggest companies in the world for special collaborations. And last year, he was invited to hold a solo exhibition here in Seoul at the My Art Museum. It's called Memory Cabinet, and it's currently on view until March. To discuss his artistic journey and shed light on his latest art exhibition, he joins us now via video call. Mr. Milstein, hello, and thank you for joining us today. Hello. Thank you very much for having me and for that lovely introduction. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on the show today. Let's start at the very beginning to learn more about you. Can you tell us where did your love for art and drawing originate? Of course. Um, Well, like most people, I drew frequently as a young child. Um, Unlike most people, though, I just didn't grow out of it. By the time I was six or seven, I began writing barely comprehensible multiple-page comics Um, So I think that the world-building potential of visual narrative appealed a lot to me. And I read comics obsessively as a kid, especially Franco-Belgian comic books like Asterix and Tintin. Um, I've worked with many mediums, but I always return to drawing. I think it's distinguished by the intimate scale of the process, the universal adoption of, of it as a medium historically, um, in across all sorts of cultures, um, the immediacy of the pen on the page, 
and the affordability of its widely available materials. All of these all of these elements um, appealed to me enormously, um, have, have appealed to me enormously for years and still do. Right. I understand that you're also a self-taught uh, illustrator. So then how did you perhaps uh, get the confidence to uh, pursue this as a, a career to uh, become a full-time artist? Um, yes, I am self-taught as an illustrator. Um, around seven years ago, I decided to move from Australia to New York and to try to find a new career. I um, I was interested in trying something new. It felt like the right period in my life to maybe try and begin a new chapter. And New York felt like the right city for me to try to do that in. Um, I hadn't drawn seriously for many years by this point. But um, but when I arrived in New York and I was really open to any opportunity that might present itself to someone with my inexperience, I saw how widely illustration was used in publishing, advertising, branding, and so on. Um, so in New York, I got the idea of trying to return to my original love. Um, I sometimes find it useful to think of my life in the abstract. And the idea of being an illustrator in New York City really appealed to me as an early to mid 20th century archetype. Um, so I tried to do it. It was a little bit clumsy at the start, but I had, uh, fortunately, I had other work to keep me ab ab above water. And I had the very good fortune of landing a job with the New York Times not too long into this process, about um, under a year and under a year after moving here, that um, in fact that particular work is shown as, um, within the within the within the exhibition at my art museum, and that work got some notice, and then I received some more commissions, and I feel that I've been on that trajectory really since then. Right, so it's essentially a, a sort of a, a dream come true then, uh, that image that you had of uh, the life you wanted in New York and you managed to achieve it. It's quite a success story. Can you tell us about your uh, drawing style as well? Uh, you mentioned uh, some of perhaps your early uh, inspirations such as uh, uh, Tintin and Hergé's illustrations, but I understand that you draw more inspiration perhaps from Hergé's predecessors such as uh, cartoonists uh, Gluyas Willems and Frank King, the Ligne Claire style of art, right? Yes, that's absolutely right. Um, I do love I do love a, an early 20th century um, um, tradition of American newspaper comics, um, certainly including a uh, uh, Glass Williams, Frank King, um, George McManus, um, who was a huge inspiration for Ajay. I'm also, though, drawn to um, uh, traditions of, of woodblock um, printmaking, uh, print uh, especially those from, from East Asia, um, so including Korea and Japan and China. Um, really, like a long tradition of work that I think combines flat, typically naturalistic colors and clean black lines, which we can call Lean Claire, but is not just limited to comics. I think it goes back as far as um, Egyptian hieroglyphics on, on, on wall and papyrus. Um, anyway, this is all to say, my drawings are, I think, in that, in that way, natu naturalistically colored with mm. flat colors, illustrated with black lines. Um, but what might distinguish them is that they're often heavily, heavily detailed. Um, Yes. I would say your illustrations 
not just detail, but they they wonderfully capture uh, a scene, a moment, or tableaus. For example, a couple enjoying some uh, downtime in on their living room sofa, or a bustling New York street. You also blend fantasy in your work as well, I understand, and nature. Where do you get your ideas from? Where do you get inspiration from? Um, well, inspiration can come from everywhere. Uh, part of the reason why I enjoy working in a heavily detailed style is that it allows me to put so many of my thoughts, observations, and interests into one place. Uh, the first real illustration that I made in my current visual style was actually a critique of, of visual minimalism. And so this uh, verbose maximalist uh, compulsion of mine is deeply, deeply rooted in how I work and uh, in my particular visual style. So for finding inspiration, it's everything from strolling and trying to looking around like like a hungry magpie, <laughs> trying to find things that, that uh, strike me, to uh, you know, bearing my nose into 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 like the dustiest magazine at the bottom at the bottom of a dusty box in a secondhand bookstore, and so on and so forth. It's just to find things that feel striking, whether in my life or in the world around me, that I can hopefully translate or reference in future works. Interesting. So it's a sort of a, a rejection of uh, minimalism, uh, this style that you've developed of yours. So tell us about your current exhibition then here in Seoul. It's called uh, Memory Cabinet, and it's been uh, captivating audiences at the My Art Museum in Seoul since last September. Um, where did this opportunity, how did this opportunity come about? Um well, it's not entirely for me to say. Um, I think I've had the good fortune of my work resonating with audiences in Korea for a little while now. Around four years ago, um, an illustration of mine was licensed by um, a publishing company there called Across Publishing for the cover of a nonfiction book, um, the title of which I believe translates to On Study. And in my understanding, this book uh, outperformed expectations and in turn uh, introduced my work to uh, to a wide audience in Korea. So since then, I've had the good fortune of working with a few Korean companies, including LG on a series of projects. And I think that work brought my, I, th I think all of that brought my work to the attention of the team at my art museum, who um, I'm really grateful for in that they saw, a, they, they believe that my work uh, belonged on walls in a context in which people could really spend time with it and see, uh, see several hundred pieces together as a part of a broader picture. Right, indeed. And audiences have been, uh, visitors have been really enjoying it. Uh, you've been getting rave reviews uh, online uh, as well. Tell us a bit more about the exhibition itself. What did you want to uh, show through it? Um, well, I try not to be too prescriptive with my work in general, um, either to myself, uh, sorry, either to others or to myself. Um, I generally prefer it when people bring their own interpretations to what I do, and I often feel that their understanding of my work is more compelling than my own. Um, I'm just making these things, after all. It's not necessarily my job to understand them. Uh, with that said, the, the exhibition is something of a retrospective containing the chief works I've made over the past seven years. Um, and the subjects and tones within them vary enormously, but I think that they're married by a sense of uh, curiosity, maybe. Uh, 
so I hope that the if the viewer takes something, I hope that they take the collection of works as a suggestion for ways that one might interact with one's surroundings. Uh, in particular, making sure to um, take note of small things that are over, easily overlooked in uh, urban environments, in domestic uh, spaces, and uh, in one's like personal and emotional life. Um, I think that slowing down and paying attention to seemingly insignificant things is uh, something that can help us understand the world and our place within it. Right. I think visitors are uh, feeling that as well. Some reviews I have, I saw online, uh, they capture that overall feeling, I would say. Uh, some reviews here, it says, uh, it's full of small pleasures. It made me think about life calmly. I'm left with uh, warm memories. What do you think of these uh, reviews? Um, I think they're very touching, and they. Um, I think that does speak to something that I hope to achieve with some of my work. While some things I do touch on, I think touch on broader and maybe uh, trickier, more um, emotional themes. I've I've always been interested in work that is that is maybe wistful, that is interested in describing smaller things, smaller human moments, um, like you like you describe um, a, an individual just taking comfort in, in a patch of sun in their house, like a, like a cat would. Um, these things can be as interesting to me as, um, as a scene of like emotional calamity or disaster. Um, so I'm glad that, uh, I'm glad that viewers have been finding, you know, have been finding these works as peaceful to be around as I find them to make as well. You were, of course, in Seoul as well for the opening of the exhibition, and you also held two special events for visitors, a tour and a, and a book signing. What was it like being in Korea? Oh, it was amazing. It was my first visit there. Um, I'd wanted to visit for a long time. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was great. I Beyond, beyond uh, those experiences with the museum which were incredible and very, very touching. Having an opportunity to meet people who uh, really liked my work and had traveled to see it was um, really one of the highlights of, if not the highlight of my career. Um, and just the experience of being in Korea was wonderful. Um, if, I, I, did make, I did make some time to be a bit of a tourist. I... Um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I visited um, like the Bukchon Hanok village and um, some of the old palaces and museums. I really love a lot of uh, Joseon art and design. So getting to see things like that in person was uh, extremely rewarding. And I spent several days on, on Jeju Island as well. So um, I left... Um, I left with an extremely positive impression of the country and its culture and um, also just deeply inspired by the things I saw and the people I met. Um, I hope to be back soon. Could we expect maybe any pieces that are inspired by your time in Korea, some scenes of Korea at some point in the future, do you think? Absolutely. I'm working on a couple right now, actually. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Okay. So we can look forward to that then. Korean fans uh, can look forward to that. I think we're very curious to see what you made of Korea. That's really interesting. Okay. And finally, just to wrap up. Um, 
As a self-taught illustrator as well, we thought maybe you had some words of advice or tips for any listeners who may be listening, who may be looking to enter the illustration industry and looking for some words of inspiration. Um, I will say that um, I, I, I take pride from being self-taught. But um, it's not if, – if I could do it over again, um, maybe I would have gone to university. I, I am a believer in tertiary education as a way um, primarily of really being able to build a community and receiving some very important training. Um, for me, I needed to make a lot of mistakes um, to figure out what I think were very obvious things to other people. Um, but I will say whether um, as an illustrator you went to university – um, or not, I think it's uh, paramount that um, when that 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 uh, illustrators make work that is unique and in turn communicates um, a unique person behind uh, that flat image. Um, trends come and go, but if you do something that's true to you, um, you found something evergreen. Um, and because of this, I think I th- I also think it's important uh, to lead you know, for artists to lead interesting lives, um, to pursue different experiences, to challenge oneself, to improve oneself and so on. Um, the interesting work will follow. Great. And with those words, uh, we will leave it there. It's been wonderful to have on the show today. We've been talking to Ilya Milstein and his exhibition Memory Cabinet is on view at the My Art Museum in Hull until March 3rd. Thank you once again for your time today. Thank you very much for having me. Did you enjoy this segment? You can discover more segments like this throughout the week on Korea24. On Monday, we bring you news from the world of sport around the peninsula. Are you a fan of K-pop? Then be sure to join us on Tuesday to get the latest in the entertainment and K-pop world. For all the bookworms out there, tune in on Wednesday for Korea Book Club, where our literary critic helps us unpack works by Korean authors or written on Korea. Join us on an adventure every Thursday as we take a look at Korea's hidden gems with Explore Korea. And on Friday, listen to what our film critics have to say about the latest movie releases from both home and abroad. We have all that you need, all in one place, on Korea24. Next up, it's our sophomore edition of Hallyu Highlights, our weekly segment where we dive into the heady world of Korean entertainment, from K-pop to K-dramas and more. And we do that with the help of our contributor, Bernie Cho, the founder and president of the Seoul-based creative agency, DFSB Collective. And he's here with us in the studio this week, back from the glitz and glam of L.A. Bernie, hello. It's uh, great to have you with us. Oh, no, it's good to be back. And oh, my gosh, I could not have picked a worse time or day to come back. Just as I was escaping the uh, quasi-hurricane in L.A., I arrived at the snowstorm here in Seoul. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know what I dragged with me, but uh, I'm wet and cold, but 
it's warm here, so it's all good. Yes, it is thankfully warm in the studio here today, and we really appreciate you making the effort to come out here to the studio as well. It is really great to do this segment with you each week. Okay, now this week we are starting with some interesting TV news. So, fresh off the success of her hit Disney Plus OTT drama Maestra Strings of Truth, the legendary Korean wave actress Lee Young Ae is rumored to be in talks with KBS to be the host of a TV talk show. That in and itself is big, a buzzworthy deal, as it would be a refreshing first in her illustrious acting career. But Bernie, can you explain for us? Of all the new shows, of all the new shows that are set to debut this year, why is this lighting up the internet? Well, you know, I figured if I'm going to walk into the KBS building, I might as well start strong with a KBS <laughs> uh, story. But again, this one's interesting because I actually wonder if there's strings of truth to this because you know people are talking about this, but they're couching it very strongly as a rumor. And I mean, this is a crazy rumor. This is a great rumor. And you know what? It's a good time not to admit or deny because the rumor has gone viral. Um, you know, again, Lee Young A, who is a legend in the Korean entertainment industry, you know, back in the 90s, you know, she was easily one of the top models, actresses. And then, you know, she uh, took a bit of a hiatus and decided to have a family. And now she's back. And it seems like every show she's been on has just been a massive hit, like as if she didn't miss a beat. And as if, you know, she couldn't do more in her career, she decides to pivot and do something a bit unexpected, which is a talk show. And it makes sense because, you know, she has accrued an image and a reputation of, you know, not being just an amazing actress, but a very intelligent actress, not just obviously choosing great roles, but the roles that she's taken on really exemplify sort of, um, you know, famous women, both fact and fiction, uh, that has really sort of propelled and pumped up the image of Korea worldwide. But, you know, the fact that she's doing a talk show, you know, is interesting. And, you know, again, because of the rumors that have circulated, it's it's not going to be sort of your typical talk show. Supposedly it's going to have celebrities and VIP guests from entertainment, sports, politics, society. Mm, right. But, my goodness, if you're going to try to manifest a blockbuster debut, um, having the new L.A. Dodgers legend, uh, Shote Otani, to be your first guest, not even confirmed. Right, that is the rumor, Just right? Just putting that out there. I mean, talk about pressure. Like, the fact that you want that a, a person as a guest is good and great, but usually you keep that behind closed doors. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, you deal with your writers and producers all the time. If you've got a big guest, obviously not me, you keep that behind closed doors. <laughs> sure. The fact that they let this out um, to create this buzz is really startling. I would actually say it goes far as a bit shocking because... Part of me thinks, because I've been in TV, what if you don't get that guest? Exactly. What's going to yes. happen? And, you know, um, as we all know, and for those of you who don't, you might as well know, uh, coming up very soon, it's just around the corner, but I believe in late March, uh, the San Diego Padres and the Los Angeles Dodgers will be coming to Korea to do um, preseason exhibition games for the first time ever in Korea. I don't even think it's exhibition games. It's actually part oh, of the Major League. Oh. Uh, it's the uh, opening games. You did your yeah. homework, yes. And... Um, What's interesting is, you know, some of the best Korean ball players and now some of the best Japanese ball players now play respectively for the Padres and or the Dodgers. And so it's going to be a real showdown. And it, that particular series is being hosted by an OTT platform. Sure. Coupon uh, Play. And so it's interesting that um, this event is going to happen and KBS 
hey, it's great enough. You know what? You could just drop the mic saying we're going to have E. Young and do a talk show, TV talk show. But to go out there and say, yeah, we're also going to get Showtime. Wow, that's a big ask and it's a big risk. And if they pull it off, kudos, applause the whole bit. But my goodness, they're, they're, it's a, this is a pretty bold rumor to put out there. <laughs> yeah, it's quite left field. But if they get him, it would certainly be quite a, a big statement. And uh, I guess... I, I, I hope they hit the home run and not get the strikeout. I had to say that. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. Uh, but yes, it's interesting. Even though she would be a talk show host rookie, just... Uh, her status in the industry uh, and the respect she has, I think, would bring a lot of weight and heft to this potential talk show that we perhaps haven't seen much of. It would oh, be no, something we, like... I'm going to correct you on that. We have kind of sort of seen it recently with Ihori, uh, with Red sure, Carpet. Sure, She, like, you know, like a young A, is a 90s legend and she's come back. And again, the talk show for format, talk show TV talk show format has worked very well for her. So... I think that, um, you know, KBS might have a uh, second massive hit on their hands, uh, bringing in, you know, more big uh, superstars to uh, sit down and and do something uh, a little bit different than your typical sort of, you know, ha-ha, laugh, laugh, you know, variety show. Something a little bit more intelligent and a little bit more uh, entertaining and a little bit more educative. Especially with a guest like Otani. It's almost something like, uh, perhaps reaching too far, but something a bit like Oprah kind of style. Yeah, I just, wow. I mean, if if they can land him, that would be huge. But I I, I just, I was just shocked that they leaked that because Mm. that's just, that's just adding a lot of pressure. As we said, this is all just uh, rumours for now. There is no confirmation yet. We will hear, wait to hear more news of this potential show, but it certainly sounds very exciting indeed. Yeah, I figured if I, if I drop this within the house of KBS, you, you'll likely hear something. So let's see what happens. <laughs> OK, let's turn next to another in-demand Hallyu actor of the moment. A male actor this time, Sun uh, Sakgu. He has also changed his pitch up uh, with his latest announcement to uh, not only go solo and independent, but also to set up shop as the head of his own production company. Bernie, can you tell us more about this announcement? Yeah. So, you know, this is an interesting one, too, because, you know, right now, uh, Son Sokgu is easily one of the hottest male actors. And now because of that, also one of the biggest uh, male models. Uh, just pushing anything and everything on TV commercials. You know, right now when I when I turn on TV, he seems to be like in almost every other commercial or ad, which is great. I, I love watching him act in, in movies and TV shows. And yeah, I don't mind seeing him on commercials too. Now, he did something very unique and interesting because usually when you become not just a star, but a superstar, uh, chances are you may leave your management company. And what a lot of other entertainers and celebrities, music artists have done as of late is when they go solo and independent, they usually set up shop to essentially manage themselves mm. or manage maybe a small group of their peers. Right. But we saw with all the uh, members of uh, Blackpink recently did that. Yes, exactly. And so um, now what's interesting is he went one but two steps forward because he's not just managing himself as an actor slash model, but has made it very clear he has aspirations to be both a director and probably producer, actually more as a producer. Now, this is extremely rare in Korea. There's only one other actor that I know of. That has gone big in this manner, which is uh, Madong Sok, a.k.a. Don Lee. Mm. Every blockbuster movie that he has starred in, he's also the producer. And this is also very much a trend in Hollywood. 
Right. Um, you know, more often than not, the big actors and actresses are often the producers as well of the movies that they star in. So, for instance, you know, uh, a great example is Barbie. Uh, Margot Robbie was not only the lead actress, but she was also one of the producers. Right. Um, Dwayne Johnson, a.k.a. The, the Rock, Rock, spelled R-O-C-K, not R-O-K. Um, he's famous for producing all the big blockbuster hits that he also stars in. And so... Tom Cruise, another one? Yes. Famously? Exactly. We could just name drop all day. But... Um, Sonsoku has decided to go this route and it's got a lot of people's attention because uh, it's a rare move. It's a bold move. And I think given his talent and his ambition, it's, it's the right move. Why haven't we seen this more before? You said it was rare in Korea. And also, do you think this, we're going to see this more? Well, you know, what was interesting is with the announcement, and this, was, this is news, not rumor. This is news. But it was rumored that he was working on something because, you know, reporters were digging around and they'd heard and found out that, you know, he had registered something recently as an independent, but they were like, well, wait a minute. Hey, hey, this isn't a man, it's a production company. But, you know, um, what's interesting is, is um, when the announcement was made, it was within the context of the team. So he has put together a team of people uh, that he's worked with previously. And also um, he's been getting advice and assistance and help and, and support from a team of others who have obviously helped him get to where he is now, but more importantly, helping him to raise his exposure uh, overseas in Hollywood as well. And so it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, what projects he'll be taking on, not as an actor. I mean, he can pretty much pick and choose whatever role he wants. He's just getting thrown scripts left and right. But I mm. think more importantly is the fact that uh, when he is going to commit to a project, he will in all likelihood also come on board as a producer as well. And so it'll be really interesting to see if this will become sort of the new um, business paradigm for superstars where, uh, you know, they have more creative input, not only in front of the camera, but behind the camera. And, you know, obviously, if uh, the projects that he gets behind and commits to become blockbuster hits, uh, this could be a very uh, mm. lucrative way for many celebrities to uh, extend their star power. Uh, just beyond being, you know, an actor or actress, but possibly maybe potentially also as a producer and moving forward, maybe even a director. Well, again, it'll be really interesting to see what sort of waves he can make with this new production company. Stature Inc., I think, is the name. I think that will be the name to look out for. Uh, next, we turn to a rather unexpected crossover between K-pop and French literature. According to the Chinese news site Sohu.com, the life of Lisa from Blackpink, the K-pop girl group, will become the focus of an upcoming French novel about her life as a K-pop superstar and a uh, BTS, a behind-the-scenes look at the K-pop industry. So, uh, what do we know about this rumoured book so far? You know, when I wrote the notes for this, I realised that the French word for new, novel, looks very much like novel, but we're just going to have to look at it both ways. It's going to be new. But it's also going to be a novel. And um, there's so many bits and pieces about this particular news. And again, this unfortunately has to fall under more of the rumor side. But uh, the details that were revealed by Sohu.com dropped a lot of names. So I believe that this is actually more news that might have just been prematurely leaked. Uh, so for one, we know who the author is. And I don't know if this is like a Twitter handle or their actual name, but uh, J'ai du Lamy. 
uh, it's spelled very long, but you could look for it. Mm. Um, apparently, this is an author that has a track record already of uh, writing some hit novels. And um, this particular novelist has decided to focus on Lisa and her rise to stardom. But also, because it's a novel, it means it's going to be probably part fact and maybe more fiction or probably better yet, a bit blurry. And, you know, we all know that Lisa is not only one of the most popular members from Blackpink and in the K-pop industry, but she is wildly popular in France. She's a brand ambassador for some of the luxury brands in France. Um, She's obviously had some performances as of late as a solo artist uh, in France. Um, Some got her in trouble. Some, you know, got her a lot of attention. And um, it seems like every major French politician or celebrity or entrepreneur wants to take a photo with Lisa. (laughs) And again, I can't believe we're going to go back to the rumor mill, but she's apparently dating uh, one Uh, of the uh, members of the uh, LVMH group. Um, And so, you know, more power to her. But uh, she's very popular in France. I don't know why it took me this long to say it, but yes. And so it does not come as a huge surprise that given the popularity of K-pop in France and given the fascination with Lisa around the world, but especially in France, that there's going to be a French version, a French take, a French interpretation Mm. of K-pop, the phenomena vis-a-vis through the experience of Lisa, who is, you know, Thai, but a K-pop star and beloved worldwide. So it'll be interesting to see when this book comes out, how it comes out. And again, sure. what I, it's, it's borderline comedy when we read all these leaks because um, they drop such loud hints in terms of, oh, it's an unnamed book publisher that published these other books. And you can look at the <laughs> titles and like, I think I kind of sort of know who it might be. And so right. whoever teased this, like made it so obvious that um, it would... We, it's probably likely happening, and it's just a matter of just getting more details. But uh, it's an interesting take. This is really K-pop going truly global. A Thai K-pop star written by a French novelist <laughs> and and meant for the international market. So it almost looks like what part of this is going to be Korean, but I don't think it matters. Indeed. Well, look out for a Lisa-themed novel sometime soon in your area for our listeners in France. Uh, in your area. You went there. Yes. <laughs> you, I can do my puns as well. Uh, let's look at one or two more bits of news before we go. Uh, one bit of controversial news. One of the biggest K-pop boy bands of the world, Seventeen, just announced an encore tour to celebrate their recent world tour. But they have upset their Korean fans because there are more concert dates in Japan than Korea. And the band will celebrate their debut anniversary on May 26th in Japan as well and not in Korea. So, Bernie, this decision has certainly caused quite a storm. Yeah, you know, this is one of sort of the um, downsides of being popular worldwide as a K-pop band is because, um, you know, although, you know, K-pop bands start out in Korea and then they move from local to regional to global, um, all the fans around the world want to sort of have uh, an affinity and an affection and maybe a little bit borderline possession that that band is their band. And so these types of scheduling conflicts are bound to emerge. Now, look, I'm, I'm in the business. So I look at numbers. The Japanese market is bigger than Korea. 
the Japanese market has more cities, more arenas, more stadiums to play than Korea. So in terms of the fans getting upset by the fact that the band is going to play more shows in Japan than Korea, it's just a numbers game. It's going to happen. Now, I do understand why they're upset because, you know, obviously... If they debuted in Korea on a certain day, the Korean fans are going to obviously be a bit possessive and say, you know, those boys, they're our boys. And so the fact that they're going to perform next door in Japan obviously has upset a lot of the the true fans, hardcore fans, who believe in some way, shape, or form they're entitled to have their favorite boy band here in Korea with them performing for them. Unfortunately, it's not going to happen. And I think it's one of those things for people in the industry, when we look at it from afar, it's like... Could this have been done any differently? But I'm really not sure. Look, I mean, I have to assume due to logistics, they probably couldn't get the venue that they wanted in Korea. And, you know, perhaps, you know, it was scheduled in advance in Japan. Many reasons why. But it'll be interesting to see how the band is going to satisfy fans both in Korea and in Japan. And finally, let's squeeze in one more quickly. One of the biggest K-pop girl bands in the world twice just wrapped up two days of shows in the iconic Mexico City Stadium uh, for Seoul and performed in front of a whopping 110,000 fans. They debuted their new global hit single, I Got You, at the Mexico City show as well. Uh, it features the American singer-songwriter Lauv, debuted at number one on 40 Apple iTunes charts around the world as well. Bernie, twice really going strong at the moment, it seems. Yeah, I don't know what it was, why I picked two bands that happened to have numbers in it. We started with 17 <laughs> and here we go with twice. And again, twice, two days, boom, 110,000 people. Like, again, it's when incredible. you read it so fast, that Mexico City Stadium does sound like for Seoul, but we got to be a little bit more proper. <laughs> Foro Sol. Now, this is an iconic, massive uh, arena. I wouldn't even say arena stadium or amphitheater. It's massive. And basically, if you are a world super, super, superstar, you perform here. And so I think this is a story of this is what happens when you're a K-pop boy band or girl band that becomes a global superstar that all of a sudden you become a icon in a different country, in a foreign country. And in this case, it's twice in Mexico. And the Mexican fans retreated to something, unfortunately, <clears throat> that's not a cough, uh, the Korean fans weren't entitled to, which is the world premiere of their new single, I Got You. And so obviously Mexican fans were ecstatic that they were able to hear for the first time ever a live performance of I Got You. And timing was perfect because, like you said, it debuted not just in the top 40, but number one in 40 countries around the world. Um, and so this is sort of a, um, a nicer, kinder, gentler version of this is what happens when a K-pop band becomes big globally. Again, we don't want to see more things happening like 17, but these things happen. But, you know, on the, on the bright side, uh, Twice was able to show uh, a lot of love and got a lot of love in right. their recent gig in Mexico City. OK, that's all for this week's Hallyu Highlights, Bernie. Thank you once again. And we'll catch up with you next time. Take care. Hasta la vista. And that wraps up our show. Join us again tomorrow for more news, reviews and reviews from Korea. Till then, we hope you have a great day. I've been your host, Kwon jang and thank you, as always, for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>